of the promise that was made to Abraham that all those who call upon Christ who become uh, the children of God or the, uh, became uh, saved by the grace of God through faith in God, believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, are no longer just uh, uh, children, but they are, the son, they are God's children <coughs> through the faith in Jesus, and they are a sons or a descendants of Abraham, spiritual descendants. Paul will continue that here in chapter 4, <coughs> excuse me, but he will, he will give it a different angle. He'll give us a different uh, uh, perspective on it so that the Galatians that he's writing to will see a different uh, way of looking at it. So we'll read verses 1 through 7. He says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. <clears throat> Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Paul is going to continue <coughs> his argument of our position with God as showing a um, resemblance that as a child uh, and a servant are basically in the same position. He says, a child, as long as he is, or an heir, uh, as long as he is a child, is no different than a servant. Uh, a little bit of, of background, we don't see it a whole lot now because uh, Heirs to our family fortunes, if we have any, uh, or heirs to our properties, can be both men and women, right, boys or girls. In the time that uh, Paul is writing, he is writing under the assumption that he's viewing it from a Roman perspective, okay? Uh, Paul being a Roman citizen, but as well being a Jew, he was raised in the situation where... The, the culture and from, from a middle-class family to an upper-class family would send their children to be taught by servants, tutors, or governors, as he says here, um, sometimes even high-ranking slaves that were in the home. Uh, they would be the ones who would be the caretakers of that child. They would be the ones who would not only educate him, but train him in a way of being a proper young man, uh, being the way a, a, a king or a uh, lord should be done. Uh, they were in a situation where <clears throat> that child, as long as he was under a certain age, um, he, was, he was the heir. He was going to receive everything that the father or the family had when he got to a certain age, 
but as a child, he, was, he had no more legal rights than a servant did. And so that's what Paul is, is, is showing here, using the, the Roman culture of it. He says nothing, he, he differs nothing from a servant, though he is Lord of all. <coughs> he says, but under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Now, this pointed of a father has three little aspects we're going to look at. So remember that, that statement there in verse th- 2, appointed of the father. We can see that Paul is speaking in a Roman sense because in the Jewish culture, uh, a boy is trained and raised up until the age of 12. When he hits the age of 12, he's supposed to become a man or supposed to become a a mature enough adult to be considered a man. But in this case, Paul is talking about the time appointed by the Father. In a Jewish uh, culture, that time is set by by their traditions. And their tradition is age 12. In the Roman tradition, the Romans would appoint, the Father would appoint a certain date or a time when he considered that child or that young man to be an adult. It would be like saying... um, I have a son, and when he reaches the age of about 10, of course, with all the training and schooling and education he gets, I decide, well, he's maybe about to say he's 16, he'll be mature enough to become a man. Or the father would look, maybe seeing his training and education, and say, well, maybe we need to wait till he's 18 to say he's a man. Okay? Uh, in some cases, he may have been 10 years old. So it was the appointed time that the father set to decide when that young man would be considered an adult and be where he could uh, take and, and start ruling and taking care of himself. But he says, as being under tutors and governors, we spoke in the, we looked at chapter 3, and Paul was discussing how being under the law, the Mosaic laws, that we were under that bondage. And that bondage, even though the laws showed us our sins and helped us to recognize those, we were still under that bondage. And he says that this is basically the same thing here. He says we're under those tutors and governors. In chapter 3, he used the word schoolmaster. We're still under their authority. So a child, before he became that age in which the father decided when that would be, he was basically trained and raised up by a servant or by a tutor or in the governor or governess of someone of that sort. He was under their authority. They had the right to discipline him. They had the right to educate him on whatever they thought was what the Roman culture was. He had to learn the laws. He had to learn everything it was to be known. So he says, as a Roman child... While he was yet of that age, until the father appointed that, uh, the right time that he would be considered a man. Okay? <clears throat> now, remember that because it's going to come back to us when we go to look at this. Because in the Roman culture, when we get down to verse 5, we're going to see the word adopted. Uh, dealing with our position with Christ. 
And in this, we're going to see that, and that's going to go back to that time appointed. So we have to look at the Paul is speaking in a Roman culture uh, situation. Uh, there's children uh, would be going off to school until a particular age. And they would be under these governors. It reminds me of the story of uh, uh, Bloody Mary. <coughs> this wasn't a, it's not, really a, not one of her bad stories. But she was appointed queen of England at the age of nine uh, when her father passed away. But she couldn't take the throne. She had to wait. And for her to be in that position, they had to have what is called a regent, which had been an overseer. And he would basically run the country for her because she, didn't, she wasn't mature enough to take care of that. And that's basically what these guys were doing. If these children that were under these tutors and counselors or, and governors, if the parent had died before they reached that age, then they would uh, uh, have that a certain person would be controlling their estate until they reach that age. Paul is looking at here at two divisions or two parts of us. He's, he's showing us what was going on in the Old Testament, and then he's going to show us what we do now, or what they did at that time in the first century. He goes into chapter 3, or verse 3, and he says, Even so we... Now, remember, he's talking to the Galatians, first century here, okay? <clears throat> when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. The Old Testament scriptures, the Old Testament saints in, in the scriptures, were under the Mosaic laws. They were looking forward to the Messiah. Their salvation was that they had faith in God that he was bringing the Messiah. That was their salvation. So they were still under the law at that time. They were under those Mosaic laws. And he says that, that was, uh, that was a, a period of time where they were like children. They were under their tutors. The tutor or the schoolmasters or the governors was that law. Okay? So they were under that. Uh, that law, as we looked at in chapter 3, uh, not only showed us our sin and stuff, uh, their sins and our sins, and, and showed us how, you know, why we're in that position, but it also led us to Christ in that way. But he said, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. When I started reading this, I'm thinking, okay, bondage of the elements of the world. Anybody got any idea about that? Let's take the word element and make it elementary. That's what it basically goes into. It changes off to in, in the Greek. It's an elementary principle. The world means the society of that time. Okay, uh, the, the Jewish society, the, the uh, uh, Gentile society. Let me jump in here real quick. and We get a lot of ideas that the Gentiles of that time, the Galatians even, as we've been looking at, didn't have any religion, right? But they did. They were pagans. They, they worshipped the sun god, and they worshipped the water god, and the fire gods, and all these different gods. We don't see that in here, but that was their culture. 
You know, a lot of times we look at the Gentiles as just being, you know, just people wandering around doing whatever. But they were, they were under the pagan laws. They were under the pagan rituals. And these elementary principles he talks about, these elements of the world, are these things that non-Christians lived by. You know, before we became Christians, how did we live? Did we live under the Mosaic laws? As the Jews did? What laws did we live under? We really didn't have any, did we? Uh, we had to live by the laws of the land, the laws of this country, you know, your you know, you speed limit fifty five, you drive fifty five and so forth. But we were living our own lives the way we wanted to. However the uh, you know, our, our our we wanted to live, that's how it was. Uh, one theologian puts it this way. The elementary principles are like the ABCs. When you first go to school, when you're in kindergarten, what's the first thing you learn? A, B, C, D, E. And from there, where do you go? You start putting words together. Okay? It's like that. It's those, those basic elements that we live by when we're children. When we're children, we don't worry about anything, do we? We're not worried about how, oh, how are we going to get to school or how mom and dad's going to pay the bills, or how we're going to have clothes, or anything like that. We just, we're just kids, right? We're just children, living our lives. And that's what he's kind of talking about. He said, as children, <coughs> we live under the elements of elementary principles, or uh, just elements of, of just the way life is. We don't have any set rules, okay? We were under those, they were living under the pagan religions, uh, Gentiles were. He said that that you know these elements were just the way we lived. I mean, it's just that simple. We, there's there's no way to really explain it other than you know those rituals, the way we lived. Those are all those elements of the world we were living by, because we were Gentiles. We we didn't have a real religion other than the pagans or so forth. He goes on to say, he said, but when the fullness of time was come, the fullness of time, in this situation here, Paul is trying to show us the Old Testament saints lived under the Mosaic laws. But when the fullness of time come along, they went from being children to what? Maturity. That was set by the date appointed by the Father. You see, our lives, everything that goes on in this world is not just accidental. Even our lives, put it in a personal thing, our lives are already set in motion the day we're born, probably before we were born, by God. I, I talked thinking about this the other day. God sets our life on a path, each one of us. And he has already got that path measured out, which way we should go. And we're walking that path just fine, but what happens during that path is that God doesn't change the path of our lives. He doesn't say, well, you know what, when he gets 14, I think we'll do this to him. Or have him go this way or that way. No, he has set, already set in motion the path we're to walk in this earth. But, the decisions we make 
changes that path. Okay? We're going along, and it's like me when I was in high school. I got in high school, man, this was so cool. You know, I'm high school, four more years, and I'm out of here, right? I've already got my mindset of what I want to do, how I'm going to do it. You know, God's already set my path the way he wants it. But when I started making my own decisions, I was going off that path. Well, God's path is still the same way. But my decisions is what changes that path for me. You know what? And somewhere down the line, God says, okay, I let him go so far. Now let's put a roadblock in, move him back to the right path. Right? That's what he does for us. It's the same way here. God has set in motion everything from the beginning of time. Everything. Christ coming back to this earth was already set forth, already decided by God before God even created the heavens and the earth. He already had it set out. When he decided to do that, it was already appointed. Nothing in this world, it just happens. It's like evolution. It doesn't just happen, okay? It's set in motion. It's on a path. It's, it's set that way. And when the fullness of time came, that fullness of time, it says right there after that, it says, God sent his son. The fullness of time was when the point was decided, this is when Christ was coming. He'd already had it planned out. It wasn't, it wasn't coming along and God watching the earth and saying, okay, when this happens, then that's when I'll send it out. That's when I'll send Christ down. Or, or if this happens, decide when it happened, just going along the road. God had already set that path that at this time, at this certain date and time, Christ would be here. That's the fullness of time. When that appointed time by the Father, back up in verse 3, or back to verse 2, time appointed of the Father, that's when it happened. That's when God decided it's time for him to go down. It was already set in motion. It was already in the schedule. He said, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. That was the appointed time. It wasn't God looked down and said, well, it, it just like Noah. In Genesis, when God looked down and seen that man was just outright sin, everywhere, right? He, it was just abomination everywhere. He didn't just automatically say, well, I'll give them a couple more days if they don't straighten up. No. He knew the time that that was going to happen. He had already set it in motion. So when the fullness of time came, when the time appointed that he had set forth, when God decided that, okay, at this time, this is when that child is going to be mature. That's when, I, that's when the time they should be. That was the time that they were set by the Father. He was going to point it out. Fullness of time, when the coming of age or the perfect timing, he sent his son, made of a woman. He had to be, part, he had to be flesh. He couldn't have came down to spirit. He had to be made from flesh under the law. Now, those two things right there made his 
human ability here, one of the reasons why he had to be this way was he had to redeem us. And it goes on to say that, to redeem us. He couldn't have redeemed us as a spirit. That spirit wouldn't have known uh, the things that we know. He became like us so that he would go through the same things we did. He went through that. He went through the virgin birth. He went through the other fall under the laws. We, we taught this in vacation Bible school. Christ was born of a virgin. He was perfect. Did he ever lie to his parents? No. Did he ever cheat? Did he ever beat up his little brothers and sisters? Probably not. I don't think he did. He was perfect. Even though he was made in, fleshly, in, in sinful flesh like us, he didn't have any sins in him, and he was made under that law. He had to follow the law, just like the law of, of the Jews of the eighth day he had to be circumcised. He was circumcised. When the time come for him to be uh, uh, going to the temple to be dedicated, it went on through. The same thing. Everything that was done under the law then, he followed through with it. He followed the law. Verse 5 says, for that reason, he, redeemed, he came to redeem them that were under the law. So let's go back to look at the Old Testament saints that were saved by their faith in God that the Messiah was coming. Okay? That was their salvation. That was their faith. That's how they lived. By following the laws, the commandments of God, by going through that law, but in the fullness of time, when the time came, was appointed by, appointed by the Father, and get it out here, that it was time for Jesus to come to this earth. There was a transition there. Once they got to that point and Christ came, what happened when we started believing in Christ? Let's go on. What's it say? He came to redeem us. He redeemed us. But not only from under the law, but what's it say he did? We received the adoption of sons. We went from being a child, and Paul was probably seeing this being in the first century, or his parents may have, being under that, well, he did too, because he was a Pharisee, following the commandments of the Mosaic laws, being of the Jewish uh, society, culture, and being taught in all their rules and traditions and regulations and all that, went from being the child of the Old Testament to a son of the New Testament. You see where I'm going? Am I confused yet? <laughs> okay. This is what he's kind of he's given us here. At one point in our lives, we were children. We were under the tutors and the governors. We were being trained and brought up as children. We weren't mature yet. But when Christ came, it broke a line right there. And when Christ came and we, by grace through faith, accepted Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, we now transferred from children to adopted sons. Okay? Now, in the Roman tradition, I gotta get a drink of that. In the Roman tradition, 
when a child came of age, even though he, the father was a legal uh, parent, biological parent of that child, of that son, they still did a ritual or ceremony where that child was adopted. He was formally adopted as the son of that father. But they would do, you know, in, in the Jewish culture, they have a bar mitzvah for the 12-year-old. Comes out, well, okay, he's a man now. When the boy in the Roman culture reached that age that appointed by the father, then they would have this celebration, but they would go through this ritual or this ceremony where the child stepped before the father, and the father said, this is my son. Made it a, a legal form of adoption. Adoption cannot be broken, period. It cannot be. Now, today, in today's society, I'm sure there's some lawyers out there that can find a loophole or some law or something that they can break it. But in this situation, in the Roman culture, when a, someone adopted someone, it can't be broken. Take the case of, uh, of uh, Moses. You know, uh, Moses is uh, not, uh, not his biological brother. Ramsey's daughter, excuse me, finds him in the uh, bulrushes and takes him into the, ca the home of the, the castle. And the king or the, the ruler, her father, whoever it was, came at Ramsey's, took him in and literally adopted him. Moses was adopted as the Egyptian heir. That adoption could not be broken. Uh, if Moses had left, as he did, and was in the wilderness for 40 years, if he had came back, not, not considering what he had done before he left, if he had just left and came back 40 years later to Egypt, he could have walked into the castle and said, I'm an heir. I'm here. This is mine. It's all mine. But because of what he did, Ramses had gone on and basically said he's no longer his. He was still been an heir to that Egyptian kingdom because he was an adopted son of him. But here he says that we might receive the adoption of sons. We are adopted by Christ or by God through Christ because of what we have done. We went from the child under the governors and tutors to the sons, adopted sons, and daughters. Don't get this. The way it's spoken in the Bible, in Scripture, it's sons, but it means all those who come under him, okay? It's both male and female. One of the reasons why they used the word sons in all this was up until a couple centuries ago, women weren't allowed to inherit anything. Uh, they, they, they weren't allowed to. Even up to the early 1900s, in some places in England, women couldn't have it. They couldn't inherit anything. Anybody watch Downton Abbey? I don't know if any of you watched it. I, I watched it. There's one part in one of the series, in, in one of the episodes, where I think it's one of the first ones. Uh, the Crowleys have three daughters. And none of the daughters can inherit the property. They would be left a 
if Mr. Lord Crowley died, they would be left a, a, a purse or a, a, what do you call it, a, um, an account. They'd be left some money, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't inherit all the property. And Mr. Crowley has two nephews. Because he doesn't have any son, he has two nephews from his brother. Those two nephews would be his heirs. Well, those two nephews die in the Titanic tragedy, apparently, and so now he doesn't have any heirs. Now, if the daughters marry, guess who becomes the heir? The son-in-law, if there are no physical blood kin. And this is what, basically what his is. If we are adopted into God's family, God has chosen us, taken us as sons, and will not let us go. He can't let us go. He's adopted us. The adoption cannot be broken. But it's only at that right time. Just like our salvation. Our salvation comes at the proper time that God sets forth. It just didn't happen. We didn't wake up one morning and say, yeah, I think I'll go get saved today. Doesn't happen that way. God calls us to that point. And he knows when that point will be. Mothers pray for their children, fathers do too, that one day they will get saved. They pray and they pray and they pray and they pray. And mother or father will go for years. The child may be 30, 40, 50 years old before they get saved. You know what? That was appointed the time for God. That was appointed by the Father. That appointed a time was given by God to when it would happen. All my life, as I was a child, we used to go to, um, well, I was baptized as a child in Catholic Church. My brother and sister went to Catholic school in Catholic Church. Uh, when I was young, I went with a friend of mine. His dad went to a Baptist church. He was a bus driver, so I went with him. I went a few times with my uncle to a Lutheran church. We were a multi-denominational family. My mother worked for the Salvation Army. They were friends with the captain at the local Salvation Army church. We went to the Salvation Army more than anything. But we were, we, we were all denominations. We didn't go. And all my life, I've always heard about salvation. But I, that didn't mean anything to me. I didn't care. I just let it go off. But now the Salvation Army captain, I don't remember everything about it, but I do remember when I was a little boy, I was probably about eight or nine, he had a daughter about the same age. So, you know, we were kind of sweet on each other, you know, eight years old, right? We were going to get married, grow up and get married, and have a little red church out in the woods and preach to the animals. That was our little dream. <laughs> but see, that was, that was the dream of a child. And it took almost 40 years, probably about 40 years, 30 years, before I realized what salvation really was, what Christ was, or who he was, and what he had done. Back there in that pew, 1988. It was an appointed time that we went from being that child, living under these tutors, living by the world standards, or the world's rules, or however, you know, our family was running, 
until the point of time that we became mature under Christ. You see how that goes? But he, he was using the, the, the attitude of the Old Testament saints to be saved in the New Testament. But it goes along for us too. We, before we got saved, were that, we were that child. We were living under the laws of the earth and, and everything that revolved around that in our families. Until that time appointed by the Father that he felt we were mature enough to take on our salvation. But he adopted. He said he came to redeem us. He came to die on the cross, live a perfect life, teach his apostles, live his life perfectly, died on that cross, was buried and raised the third day. Only to do one thing, and that was to redeem us, to bring us to him. And when we do that, then we are adopted into his family. We cannot be let go. Goes on to verse 6, and he says, And because ye are now sons, or are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts. Pastor spoke on this this morning. When we became that born again, when we became that, that saint, that adopted son in Christ, God sent his son's spirit, the Holy Spirit, into our hearts. So see, if we truly take on that spirit and believe, people say, they pray, well, I'll, I'll pray that God gives you uh, the Holy Spirit in you to, to preach or to talk or to teach or whatever. You know what? I already have the spirit. I don't need you to pray for the spirit to come into me. I already have it. God has already given us the spirit of his son. And I, 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 as, I, as I read this and thought about this and stated, I think we've lost that position in our minds. We don't realize how close of a family we are to God. We really are. Pastor spoke about this morning briefly. I thought he was going to get into my lesson. I was going to have to jump up and tell him to be quiet, but he, <laughs> and he I didn't do it because he, he kind of went on. But when Christ gives us his spirit, we should be able to walk like he did. But the problem is, we have a fleshly body. He did too, but he was holy. He was divine. He could not do it the way we do. We have a flesh body. We have a sinful body. But he says he sends his spirit upon us into our hearts that we can cry, Abba, Father. Let me give you a little explanation of this, Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic word for father. So what he, Paul is saying here, he's given us, or the, he's given us this word, Abba. He said this is the Semitic word for it. This is the Hebrew word for it, okay, Abba which means father, our word for it is father. The Greek word father. It has the condensation of daddy. But I hate to hear something like that. He is, he is our daddy. I love to say father. Let me, let me, get, let me kind of, I guess I'm getting into preaching now, but when we say Abba, 
And Father, we are being respectful. Whenever I was with my dad and we were around other people, uh, you know, I would call him dad, you know, being casual, I guess you could say. But if I was talking to someone else about my dad, I would say my father. That's a kind of respect, honor. When I was alone with my dad, I'd call him dad or daddy. So Abba, being the father, is a respectful name. But it goes deeper than that. It goes deeper to the point that we can cry unto him. Crying, having the sense of, Daddy! I don't like that word, so I'm not going to do it. But Father, being in private, we can say that. I would never sit here and start a prayer, Daddy, Daddy, I want you to, I wouldn't do that. That's disrespectful as far as I'm concerned. Now, you may have a different view on that. But to me, calling God Daddy in a crowd, especially in the house, I don't think it's right. That's just me. But I would holler out, Father, Father God, my Father, I would do. Abba, I can cry out to him. If I'm in my private prayer time, I can say, Daddy, my dad, that's fine. But when I'm in a crowd, when I'm in this church, I want to say Abba. I want to say Father. But he says that he sends his spirit of his son into us that we can cry Abba. What did Jesus cry when he was on the cross? Abba, why have you forsaken me? It's that close. It's that close of relationship. And I think we've kind of lost that. We don't really realize how close of a relationship we have with Christ and with God. Pastor was talking about this morning in, in sermon, you know, how we, we think God, we go to him when we need something. We go to him when, when we have problems or trials. But why don't we just go to him and ask him and talk to him? When things are going good, you know. That's the way we should do in the morning, the afternoons. David, when in his Psalms, he went to him three times a day, sometimes seven times a day, crying out to him, Abba. He said, we have the Spirit of Christ in us. It would be like Christ calling out to God. The same way we could be able to do that. Virgin says, wherefore thou art no more a servant. We went from that servant being under that tutor, that education, but a son. And if we are a son, then we are an heir of God through Christ. We are no longer a servant. We don't need to call God or Jesus master. He is our master as far as teaching us, educating us, Okay, but he's no longer our master. He is our co-heir. He is our brother, and God is our father. It is an intimate relationship between us and God 
that I, I feel that we've lost. And, and that's why sometimes we don't have a revival going on. Sometimes that's why a church seems so dead. It's because we don't understand or we've lost that idea of how close we are to God. We're no longer adopted. I mean, how, how many of you, when you got in trouble, called on your father? I'm not talking about our heavenly father. I'm talking about your earthly father. You got in trouble. I know I did a few times. <laughs> there was a few times I, I wish I hadn't asked him for his help. Because I got my butt whipped. <laughs> but I would always go to him and I would say, Daddy. That was in private. That was a respectful, private thing. That, you know, that was an intimate thing between me and him. But if I was talking about him or I was talk, calling his name out in an opening with a crowd, with other people around, I wanted to be respectful. And that was Father. But we have that. We are no longer a servant. We are no longer... Now, Paul said that he is a servant. Even as he said, he said, I am a servant. He is, and we are. As far as the work is to be done, we're servants. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to heaven, we are co-heirs to everything Christ has. If we need something, we can go to him. doesn't matter what it is. We are sons. We're an heir of God through Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ. And this is what Paul wants us to understand, or wants them to understand. But I think this is for us too. That our closeness with God isn't just, you know, God's my God and Jesus is my Savior and Redeemer. But if we truly, by grace, through faith, repent and call upon his name, believe in the death, burial, resurrection, we are so close to him now that we can talk to him anytime about anything. Probably closer. Well, as scripture says that we are with Christ, we're closer than a brother with Christ. Closer. I'm pretty close to my brother. Well, somewhat. You know, we see each other now and then. We talk you know, on the phone. We do things. But Christ is more closer than that. God is no longer just our God and our Master and our Lord, He is our Father. We should be able to go to Him like that. But that's what Paul wants to, to see in them. He wants them to see in this that we have gone from one stage of our life as children. It's like some, I think someone said it's like the kindergarten age. We go and we're, we're living in the world and we're learning the basics of life. But when Christ comes, when the appointed time comes that we accept Christ, we believe in his death, burial, and resurrection through grace, by faith, then we are no longer that child. We've matured into the uh, heir, the son, the adopted son. We cannot be uh, thrown away. Any questions? I hope, I hope it made sense to you. I hope you, you, you got a sense of what it was. But we, that, that's the way our life was. It, it, it's pictured from the Old Testament saints the way they lived until Christ came along and then they got saved. They matured. That was the point of maturity. Now, when we get saved, we don't go straight from, from uh, you know, knowing everything, getting saved and knowing everything. 
but we've matured to the point where we start uh, learning the, the more, I guess you could say we're going to college now. We went from the elementary school, now we're in college. We're working that up to get our doctorate degree, okay? <laughs> we're working that way up. We'll never meet to the end of that. We'll never get that degree until we leave here, okay? Are we any questions, any comments? All right. Well, we will not be here next week. The week after that, then we'll, we'll pick up in, in verse 8. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you, Lord, for those who are here tonight. Just pray and ask a blessing on each and every one. Go with them, Lord, and protect them, and, and just protect them and keep them safe. Help them. Help them to realize their position with you as saved, as adopted sons and daughters, co-heirs with Christ, and that everything that is yours belongs with us. Lord, I thank you for this time. I ask you to just bless Pastor Joe and bless this church. Help us this week, Father, as we go about our business and our jobs, everything we need to do. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.